0: And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, on special assignment in Toronto, Canada today, bringing you the State of the Nation report of Canada and the Canadians and how they're doing. It's a thrill to be here. What a wonderful country and what a wonderful people. Very nice people. Good people. So what's new up here? Oh, my God, they legalized pot. They've completely lost their collective beer minds, and they're moving on to pot. I guess the Molson's and uh, Labatt's has run its course, and now marijuana is coming in as the next big way to keep the Canadians in Canada. I guess when you live up in the frozen tundra, you have to do something to survive. And, and uh, But, you know, the problem with pot and marijuana is that it is not an antifreeze the way alcohol is. So we may see more Canadians freezing in the winter who are smoking pot rather than drinking uh, their beer. And that could be a problem for the Canadians. They may have to increase their national health care a little bit to handle all the frozen uh, pot bums downtown Toronto and Vancouver and wherever. But that aside, and you know how I feel about marijuana and legalization of that, I wanted to talk to you first about the crime and what the Canadians are concerned about and we'll talk a little bit about their economy and see how they're doing of course they're doing well because when the United States does well as a general rule the Canadians do well their economy is so tied into ours and most of their exports come directly to the United States Uh, and it's an interesting country they have the third largest oil reserves known oil reserves of any country in the world and by their natural resources. They're probably per capita one of the richest peoples on earth. Now their national income is not quite at our level. That's about $10,000 less a year per capita income, but they're still doing very well. And everybody looks very middle class to me, although there's a burgeoning, actually a huge upper middle class and upper class as well. There's a lot of wealthy Canadians so they're doing extremely well and this small country of 32 33 million 34 million is the 10th largest economy in the world which is uh, uh, very uh surprising that a country of this population size is within the top 10 i mean that's 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 really awesome so they they are an industrious people and uh, they are very productive, and I'm impressed with their work, work ethic. We'll see if the marijuana slows that down a little bit. So I've got to tell you this story. I flew into Niagara Falls International, which is in Buffalo, New York, Allegiant Airlines, and it's a cheap flight up and back, and I rented a car, and uh, I went to a Wegmans grocery store in Niagara Falls, New York, and to pick up some supplies on my way into Canada. And, uh, I got to the border and my wallet was gone. Oh my God, I'd had no wallet. So I'm at the border and I'm, I'm telling the agent, the Canadian agent, I, I don't have my wallet, I have to go back. So he lets me turn around and head back. There's a, there's a turnaround and you head back into the States. And I grabbed a hotel room in Niagara Falls and, uh, started the process of tracking down my credit cards and stopping those. And I had uh, called LifeLock, which we joined through Norton's Symantec Security. And uh, they called me back in the morning, and they started the process again with me. And they called American Express, canceled that card. Then we called Chase for the Visa card. And the Chase lady said, oh, it's already been canceled. We've already put a stop on it. I said, why'd you do that? Well, someone called from Niagara Falls, New York, reported it as missing. I said, who? Well, the person on the line said, well, I don't know. I said, well, how did you find out then if you don't know that somebody called and who called? Oh, that's another department. So I got over to the next department, and they actually had the number of the woman who had found it. And they called her, and she's on the line. She won't tell me her name. She just says it's at the Burlington Coat Factory, which is a couple of shopping centers over from the Wegmans. And so I saddle up and head over there, and it takes them about 15 minutes to figure out that it's in the safe. Apparently, this woman worked the evening shift, and the manager of the store said she would like to see if she could track down who actually dropped the wallet in the parking lot because the employee picked it up and brought it in, thank God, and I was very grateful. Of course, the money was gone and she called me back a few hours later and said that the cameras weren't good enough in the parking lot to see who had dropped it and nevertheless I got my wallet back with all my ID cards and my credit cards which I had stopped a couple of them no big deal no great harm done a few hundred dollars lost so now we're out to dinner with Patrick Rusa and his wife and Patrick is an old friend that we made through the travel insurance industry he's a an executive in the travel insurance industry, great guy and uh, a big hitter in that industry. And we were talking about the wallets, and he said, you know, I've lost my wallet 10 times, 10 times in Canada. He forgets and leaves it on the hood of his car or in the locker room. He said every single time, every time, whoever found it, opened it up, pulled out his card, his business card, called him and said, oh, I found your wallet. And with two or three hundred dollars in it, and he goes and gets it, and all the money's there, and he tries to offer them a reward, and says, "Well, here's fifty bucks for finding it, and being so honest no, 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 no this is this is just what we do. This is what the Canadians do ten times, and not once did he have anything stolen from his wallet so there's a little bit of a difference, I think, in the outlook towards our fellow man in each country. We're a little bit bigger and more heterogeneous, and the Canadians see themselves more homogeneous and more brother and sisterish, ish and, and that's a good thing. It's a little bit naive in some ways, but in other ways it's a great way to go through life, especially when you've got your little brother on your southern border, mom on your eastern border, your little brother on your western border, and the Arctic Ocean on your northern border. You're kinda insulated, nevertheless, it's still a wonderful way to go through life and i have to admire the canadians for that and for their honesty by the way we went to the ontario cystic fibrosis ball last night and um, our good friend bonnie griffin and her co-chairman ron anderson put on a marvelous event and again raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for the cystic fibrosis foundation in canada and Bonnie is such a big hitter that she had a special meet and greet with Celine Dion who is also involved in the cystic fibrosis foundation and a Canadian performer and singer who we all know so kudos out to Bonnie Griffin and her family Steve and Clint and Shane her two sons who have done so much to help with the event The place was packed in fact our table She always puts us at the very back. And by the way, she sits in the back with us and her husband. And so we're so far back this year that we're off of the carpet of the ballroom. We're we're back in the bar area. And actually it worked out fairly well because it's just like 10 steps to the bar so you can get a beer in a hurry and come back to the table. So I was grateful for that, but I told her, I said, Bonnie, what are you doing putting us at the back of the bus? She said, Bill, you know me, I'll sell tables until I fill this place up and they're flowing out the back door. And she said that she sold one table twice. I don't know how you see people at one table twice, but she did a heck of a job. She packed them in there. Great job and a great event for a great cause, cystic fibrosis. So we'll throw that out. Another Canadian uh, plus that I like and appreciate about coming up here. And we've been doing that for a number of years now, going to the ball with them. So let's talk about their crime. Their crime rate, obviously, in the murder department is lower than ours. Their, Their gun ownership is maybe a quarter of what ours is. They uh, are very, very tight about gun ownership. And when you cross the border, they don't ask if you're smuggling in dope or if you have contraband of any kind. The big question is, do you have any firearms or weapons? And that seems to be the main concern. And I heard from one of our folks that we visited for the travel insurance industry who was complaining about the bump in crime in, in Toronto and Mississauga, which is a bedroom community of Toronto, huge now, three four 400,000 people. Oh, my gosh, it's, it's enormous, ginormous. Uh, the airport is in this area. And she said they've had an uptick in crime and that they're wondering where the illegal guns are coming in from. Well, I don't think they're coming across the U.S.-Canadian border because of the the tight control, but it uh, could be. However, there have been there has been an influx of minorities into Canada over the past 40 years, and the uh, different mafias—Italian, Russian, and uh, Iranian mafias—have picked up pace. I don't know if they've gotten that under control, but and now the Pakistani Muslims are coming in, and so there are a lot of minorities that have criminal elements in them that have the potential to smuggle guns into Canada. I don't know where they're coming from. Maybe they are coming from the States. Uh, But that seems to be a little bit of a concern for the Canadians. Now, although the murder rate is very low, it's less than half of what ours is, percentage-wise. Of course, the absolute numbers are even much smaller because the country is only a tenth the size of the United States in population. Still, there are murders, and one of the women I visited with at uh, Alliance out in Kitchener, she had a nephew who was murdered in his home. He apparently opened the door to a man who asked if the, he could use the phone, and being a, a good, kind, gentle Canadian, he said, sure, come on in. Guy was deranged, had already stabbed one person that day, came in, And stabbed her nephew to death and of course they caught the guy but uh, that doesn't bring your nephew back so there is crime and it is palpable and tangible and real and you can talk to Canadians and they will tell you of incidences of crime of all types the crime that we compare for better or for worse between our two countries is primarily murders And that seems to be the easiest. There are differences in the way jurisprudence is set up in the two countries, so that our FBI may keep records on assaults, which include uh, assaults with a deadly weapon, assaults with your fist, whereas in Canada, they may break it down into Assault with a deadly weapon, assault and sexual assault, assault and battery, and and a, a number of other categories. And we may see that as a little difference between states. But when it goes to our federal government, they lump the FBI statistics are lumped into certain categories. So it's a little hard to make uh, apple to apple comparisons with uh, a number of of crime uh, categories. However, the The murder is pretty easy to do. Homicides are pretty easy to match up to each other. And that assumes, of course, that both sides are keeping honest and accurate records. Now, I know New Orleans does not keep records of all of their homicides, and I'm sure that there are jurisdictions in Canada which do the same. Nevertheless, regardless, it still is... Fairly accurate, and and I feel very comfortable in saying that the Canadian crime rate, from what I've seen, is lower than the U.S. crime rate. There are, as always, uh, ways that you have to pay for that. And one is less gun ownership, and number two is uh, more restrictions on the press. They don't have a free press. In our hotel room, you don't have Fox News, although you have CNN and CBC and CBS and NBC, but you don't have Fox. They won't allow Fox because it's too, uh, I guess, pro-gun and, and, and therefore, in the minds of many Canadians, uh, pro-violence. And they don't want violence in their country. Although they have one of the largest uh, uh, arms manufacturing industry of any country in the world. I mean, they're right up there in the top five, the United States being the largest. So there's a little bit of a dichotomy. They're fine with peace and love in their country, but they don't have a problem exporting it to the rest of the world, a little a little war and mayhem, which doesn't bother me. I still think that uh, they're good people and I appreciate having them as neighbors and having them on our on our borders. So the crime is is a concern, of course. They're not as concerned about the Uh, about the terrorism as we are. Uh, They're not as big a target, although they have an increasingly large growing Muslim population. And that's a problem for them, especially the Pakistani Muslims who are uh, very uh, racist and very anti, uh, I shouldn't say racist, they're anti anything not Islam. They're they're, they'll, they'll persecute anybody who's not a Muslim, and they're coming in in large numbers. And one of the ways that they do it, and this was from a Christian Pakistani who I talked to out at, uh, out at one of the travel insurance companies. I won't tell you where because I don't want to get him uh, targeted by the Muslims. And he left Pakistan because of the persecutions, and he personally witnessed the Presbyterian or Methodist Church, I think it was a Methodist Church that was uh, attacked by suicide bombers a few years ago and a number of people were killed and the church damaged and we know that there's rapes and murders of Christians and that the police refuse to investigate that in Pakistan and we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the woman who has been on death row for blaspheming the prophet. Oh my God, what a terrible thing. And so at any rate, this guy says to me, And, you know, he's, he's Hindustan, he's Indian blood or whatever you want to call it. And he said, you white people are stupid. And I said, well, I can't disagree with that. He said, these Muslims are going to come in here and they're going to cause nothing but mayhem. They get on the welfare in Canada. They get assistance. They get free education. They get this and that. And then they go brag about it because they don't have to work. They don't have to have the jobs like the, uh, like the, Christians and the Hindus from the Asian subcontinent get immediately when they come to the country and a Muslim man from Pakistan may have a wife in Pakistan a wife in Canada and a wife in the Middle East and 10 kids well he can get all 10 kids here so because once he gets his status then he can bring his children the muslim population is over 3% of canada now and although that's not not a big population. Uh, it's growing rapidly, and we have to consider that the Canadians, the native Canadians, and I don't mean the Native Americans, the, the my wife's clan that crossed the Siberian landmass thousands of years ago, but the English and French Canadians who came here hundreds of years ago, their birth rate has been falling for a few decades now, whereas the Muslim population birth rate has been increasing dramatically because they don't believe in birth control, and they believe that the best way to take over the world is to populate it with Muslims, and they're doing a good job of that. So the Canadians at this point in time in the next 10, 20 years, I I don't think they're going to have a huge problem, but 50 to 100 years from now may be a big problem for them, and they have to stop and think about it, and I have heard not only this Christian Pakistani complaining about the Islamic influx and the influence it will have on their country, on Canada. But I've also heard it from some of the native Canadians, the white Canadians, who who are saying, now, this is ridiculous. Why are we paying to bring people in from, uh, from Pakistan who are not part of our culture and don't appreciate us and look down on us and uh, abuse the welfare system? And these are real concerns. I I think that they're honest and they're heartfelt, and the country needs to stop and take a look at it. Right now they have a liberal government in power. They have uh, Trudeau's son, uh, Trudeau Jr., who is a left-wing loony. Rumor has it that he may be the son of Fidel Castro because his mother Margaret was such a party girl, and she apparently was in Cuba. So the rumor goes (laughs) at the time she conceived and of course you know the the uh the powerful in groups the ruling dynasties i guess they they mingle with each other whether they're on this or that side of the political fence not so much in the united states anymore we're we're finally getting our collective senses back and the republicans are saying wait a minute what are we going out to dinner with these left wing loonies for what are we going out to dinner with communists what are we being nice to them for when what they want to do is to destroy the country that we have. And, uh, so, but that has not hit yet in Canada. Hopefully it won't because I think it's, it's a wonderful feeling to come up here and, and see people getting along on both sides of the political equation. I just hope that they can get this, uh, situation under control with their immigration. Uh, now there is some illegal immigration and I met a Jamaican guy at a music shop and, uh, I don't think that he got here legally, but I think he's legal now. He's got a job and a social security number and he's got his provincial health insurance. So um, they've accepted him into the fold. That's great. That's great. I have no problem with uh, immigration, immigration of Jamaicans into the United States or Canada. Good people, hardworking from what I've seen. No problems of uh and uh, been nothing but impressed with the Jamaicans that I have met. You may have a different experience, but that's my experience. So crime is, of course, of concern in, in a country like Canada, which is right next door to such a high-crime country like the United States. And they do have some nuances. In 1975, they outlawed the death penalty, but the caveat was that anybody who was convicted of murder would be imprisoned for life without parole so what do i come up against the uh the first time i turn on the tv besides the pot being legal and oh my god you would have thought it was the end of world war 2 they were so happy up here but at any rate what they did have recently was a guy that had about 25 years ago had kidnapped raped tortured and murdered two teenage girls with the help of his wife, and he was asking to be paroled, and I guess that the courts at that time said that he could be considered for parole after 25 years in prison. Now, this guy's a sociopath. I mean, he's not going to change, and uh, the law, I guess, has changed since 1975 when a capital crime like murder meant life imprisonment. Without parole in Canada? Apparently not. Apparently that's changed. You're going to let this sociopath back out? I mean, he's in his mid 50s. He's still got uh, 10, 20 years of act, active antisocial behavior left in him. And, uh, you know, you can't fix a personality disorder like that. I and mean, psychopaths, soci- sociopaths, people who get emotional and sexual pleasure out of harming other people. Uh, you know, you, you can't fix that. That's, that's too, that's too deeply established early in the development of an individual in, in infancy and childhood from abuse and neglect. And, uh, if you let him out, you got nothing problems. Now, fortunately, the parole board said, no, they're not going to let him out. And I was glad to hear that, that, that is, uh, a good thing for Canada and for the world, because who knows, he might leave the country. He might come down to the United States and and, and be involved in mayhem and, and mass murder in our country. We don't want that. And the Canadians do have mass murders. There was a famous mass murderer out in British Columbia, the western province, several years ago. He was the son of a pig farmer and a, a severely abused child, a little bit... Uh, low i q and he was luring hookers prostitutes out to the hog farm and murdering them and hanging them up on a hook like a like a, a meat and butchering them uh, so it 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 occurs in every culture uh, and we see problems in every culture so we we can 't give the Canadians a completely free pass they have to keep working just as we do on their their crime and their they're criminal elements and the world is getting better. The, the, at least the civilized world that we know, the murder rate's been going down and in the United States, as I've reported, all, all crimes are going down, especially violent crimes. And that's a good thing. We're happy for that. Well, another big, big area, and I met with Pryor Smith yesterday and he's very much, uh, canadian he's a canuck he's an ice hockey guy he's been on rogers radio for decades with the sunday uh, morning or sunday afternoon report on ice hockey it's uh, like an espn thing for the ice hockey in canada and it's it's broadcast across the country and he's he's reasonably well known in the radio circuits around canada and he, uh, Pryor, has a, a hobby of restoring old wooden boats. And he's got boats that are 100 years old that look brand new. They're beautiful. He does a great job. Very impressive. He lives a couple hours north of of uh, Toronto and Peterborough, which is on one of the lakes. There's a lot of lakes in northern Ontario, as you know. And he had built himself a joiner decades ago. And he decided that he needed to... Uh, level out one of his digits, and so he took the nail and the nail bed off of the distal tip of one of his fingers and got his wife to rush him to the hospital in Peterborough, which is a good sized hospital. They've got a good facility there, and into emergency, and he was whisked into surgery by the hand surgeon, and not that there's a whole lot you can do for uh, a, a nail and a nail bed that's been scraped off with uh, a sharp object. However, you can graft a little piece of skin over it. Uh, I don't know what they did. Nevertheless, he was very impressed that he was in and taken care of and out of the hospital within an hour or two. And he said, I don't care what anybody says about the Canadian health care system. If you have an emergency, it's one of the best. I can't argue with that. From all that I have heard and seen, if you walk into the ER with a heart attack or a stroke, they're on it right away, or if you have uh, a, a bleeding cut or a cut-off finger or some other major injury, they get on that right away. Nevertheless, if you have a minor problem, you may still wait 6, 12, 18 hours, and the situation is getting better for the Canadians in that the provincial governments have allowed uh, a few private health care institutes to come into the into the provinces, But most Canadians won't use it because they think it's jumping the queue and they all want to see themselves as brothers and sisters and they don't want to feel that they're getting ahead of each other. But as one of my friends, Peter Nardi, pointed out at one of the travel insurance companies, he said, it doesn't make any sense because if you have people who can afford to pay privately and they go into the private system, then they're making the queue shorter for everybody else. So. Why not do everybody else a favor if you can afford it? It makes sense to me, but again, I'm not a Canadian, and they see the world a little bit differently than we do. Their system is better also in that they, as I have been pushing them to do for the past 15 years, to open up to nurse practitioners and now they're training and bringing in and nurse practitioners are licensed to practice in, in Canada. And I, I think this is a very reasonable way to uh, to extend physician services and use the physician extenders who can treat most problems. And who can prescribe medications, who can take care of high blood pressure and diabetes, uh, work in emergency rooms and walk-in clinics and do minor things, suturing and uh, uh, diagnosing fractures and that sort of thing. And so it's a good thing. It's, it's certainly increased the availability of health care to the uh, masses of Canadians who have been longing for that for, for, for decades since the system was socialized. They went to a one-payer system i don 't know forty years ago, fifty years ago it's uh it's it's worked for them in the sense that everybody feels like they have some coverage, although feelings are not always accurate, as I have pointed out they're real, but they're not always accurate uh, coverage what does that mean? Does that mean that you're going to be able to see a doctor when you have a cold, not necessarily at least not in the past that's changing now and with the extension of the, uh, with the addition of the physician extenders and nurse practitioners and the uh, allowance of walk-in clinics and minor emergency centers to be set up and the uh, allowance of some private practice coming into the country, the opportunities have increased. I, when I first started going out to Kitchener, which is about an hour southwest of Toronto, where Allianz Travel Insurance Company has their headquarters and by the way that's one of the largest travel insurance companies in the world unbelievable unbelievable out in little old kitchener canada the city has grown tremendously when we first started going there a number of the people didn't have doctors they they could, I, one woman was sick and i said why don't you go see your doctor i don't have a doctor we only have one family practitioner in town and that uh family practitioners leaving. Well, now they have uh, a number of doctors in town, internists, family practitioners, minor emergency centers, uh, emergency rooms, specialists, and it's improved tremendously. And I'd like to think in part because of Dr. Bill and CanCare Clinic driving the system up here to keep up with us because we send a lot of Canadians back who then talk glowingly about the services they receive at our facility in the United States in St. Petersburg, Florida. Well, I'm going to grab a cup of Joe, and then I'll be right back. So don't go away. When I come back, we'll talk about the economy, a little bit more about the health care. And if you want to call in and make some comments, whether you're on the north or the south side of the border, feel free to join me. What's our number, Bill? I forget. 877-969-8600. Nailed it. My God, I got it. 877 877- 969-8600. I'll welcome Canadian and American callers today. I'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill.
2: With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Britain's Defense Secretary says his country stands with the U.S. As President Trump says, he will pull us out of a landmark arms control agreement with Russia. Gavin Williamson blasts Russia for endangering the arms control deal, calling on the Kremlin to quote, get its house in order. Mr. Trump says he'll get out of the pact because Russia has broken it for many years and it's preventing the U.S. from developing new, better weapon systems. Some two thousand illegal immigrants from Central America have swum a raft at a river separating Guatemala and Mexico, thwarting Mexican efforts yesterday to stop them at the border. They have reformed their mass caravan and have vowed to resume their journey to the U.S. And the death toll is up to 18, 160 injured in a train derailment in Taiwan today. More than 370 people on the train. This is SRN.
1: Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727 727- Five four five nine six seven four.
3: If you're behind, and you know you're behind in your savings, you know you're behind from retirement, you haven't got enough retirement money, you're getting worried, and nobody helped you today. Did anybody help you today? Were you able to go to your mobile device today and say, what should I do with my stock? Did anybody do a video for you today? Did your planner, did your money manager, did the guy that's running your 401k, did he do a video for you today three times during the day tell you exactly what to do with the stocks we're in? No, no when you join the gang, you can decide what you want to participate in. You can have the full schooling where you come to our class on a daily basis. That's done over the Internet, of course. Or if your person says, I just want you to make money for me because I don't have time to learn, and I have a program for that, and that's called my video stock program. So when the market goes up, you're going to make money. When the market goes down, you're going to make money.
1: Join Phil's Gang today and go to philsgang.com or call 877 gang that's 877-600-4264. This is Sue Hewitt for Town Hall Review. If you're like me, you want more than just facts. You want insight from people you trust. People like Dennis Prager, Michael Bedved, Larry Elder, Mike Gallagher, and, of course, me, your host each week on the Town Hall Review, a weekly roundup of the news. Tune in each week and visit our website at townhallreview.com. That's townhallreview.com.
0: Sundays at noon on AM 860, The Answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast.
2: Mainly clear and humid this evening. Winds north-northwest, 4 to 8 miles per hour. Low 72, less humid with times of sun and clouds for Sunday. High 84. Clouds breaking by Sunday evening, low 64 Monday. Nice with times of sun and clouds. Winds from the east, 6 to 12 miles per hour. High 84. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Emily Shaw for AM860, The Answer. Mr. Red, White, and Blue. We say, hey, you say, y'all. Yeah, we both got pro football. Except we got big balls in a longer field. We say, Z, you say, Z. Sure, we
0: watch all your TV.
3: You got a stronger arm down there. men up
0: here, we got stronger beer.
1: And I'm uh, back. That's Dr. Bill.
0: Putting got a little
1: song for you there. This is Dr. Bill putting on a little song for you there. The Canadians say we got the stronger army, but they got the stronger beer, so they're happy. And now they got the stronger pot, too. I watched a little bit of how they're processing their marijuana, and they're only using the flowers, the buds, for their marijuana. They're not using the leaves. So I guess the leaves they'll export to one of the third world countries and sell it there. I don't know for sure. Uh, But that would be a good idea. They could make a little money on that. So we're talking about the state of the state of Canada. The Canadians are doing well from what I can see. The economy is smoking. Their health care accessibility is improving. And as I said, Dr. Bill and CanCare Clinic have helped drive that to a certain degree because the Canadians come back after being in our area and coming to our clinic and say, How can you say we have the best health care when we get so much more care so much quicker at Dr. Bill's little clinic in St. Pete, Florida? You know, we have x-ray lab, EKG, nuclear camera, ultrasound, echocardiogram. I do minor surgery, suture up things, take out things. Um, you know, stingray barbs I've taken out and foreign bodies of all kinds I've removed in the office from the, underneath the skin, and we've treated burns and abscesses. And, and you know, these kinds of things are difficult for a lot of people in Canada to get immediate care for. And even if you go into the emergency room, if it's not a major problem, you may sit for 6, 12, 18 hours, depending on what time of the year it is. But it's getting better, and I'm glad to see that, and I'm glad that the Canadians are comparing their system to ours uh, and finding out more about our system and pushing their system. They should. I mean, they, they pay a lot of money for their health care, and well, they should receive good health care, they deserve it, and they're good people, and they work hard, and they're productive, and God bless them. I want them to have as, as good a life as anybody on the planet. So you can leave the country for healthcare uh, for emergencies if a doctor deems that you need healthcare right away in Canada and that it's not available, readily available, or that it's a service that's not available in Canada, uh, a new treatment that's not experimental, but it's established, but it's just not available in your part of Canada. But you have to go through a board through the provincial healthcare care. Uh, services Uh OHIP is the Canadian as the uh, Ontario service Ontario Health Insurance Plan OHIP and so you have to appeal to that board and I don't know how quickly you can get that through I would guess that if it's an emergency and your doctor is diligent he can probably push it through in a hurry and I believe the board is composed of physicians. I'm not sure, but I, I, that's what I was told. So there are opportunities to leave the country with coverage. Now, if you're out of country and you have OHIP, it will pay a small proportion of the health care bill for emergencies, certain things, but not everything, of course. Only certain emergencies it will pay for. But it's really not enough to cover health care in the United States. Uh So most Canadians get travel insurance and that's why we came up here was to meet and greet with our travel insurance companies that we have contracts with as well as uh, see our friends, see the Griffins, see Pryor Smith, see all of our friends, uh, see Patrick Russo and his wife and uh, all of our friends at all the health insurance companies who we've come to know personally and have uh, good and wonderful relationships with not only business but also interpersonal, and and I think it's a good way to cement relationships between the countries. So what about the economy? Enough of the health care. By the way, they're still farming out some of their health care in, in this area to Buffalo, New York, and, uh, and to uh, Detroit, Michigan, which are the two cities, the big cities that are right on the borders of Ontario. So, that continues to be part of the, of the deal here that they don't have all the health care that they need. And so they have to farm some of this out. So the economy is the next topic I wanted to touch on. Uh, the consumer price index up here recorded an annual inflation rate of 2.2%, which is very low. So their federal, uh, Reserve system has decided not to increase the uh the interest rates too much. They are in the middle of a problem with housing. Uh, they've overbuilt from what I can see, and I don't know if it's uh going to be a problem for them or not if they're going to have a, a housing market crash. But there are so many Condominiums being built in Toronto. I mean, it's staggering. It's just beyond belief. How many new buildings are going up in this town? I mean, this town is growing like a weed. It's huge. It's already seven, eight million people. I'm guessing the Greater Toronto Area is ten to twelve million, maybe more. So they've got some problems there, and the cost of housing is just unbelievable. I mean, you'll pay two million dollars in downtown Toronto for, for you know, six, eight hundred. A 1,000-square-foot efficiency uh, condominium. Unbelievable. And in St. Catharines, which is a little bedroom community, actually on the other side of the of the little arm of, of Lake Ontario that sticks out, or Lake Erie, I forget which one, uh, St. Catharines is a little town. Uh, a couple on the way up told me that there was a two-bedroom condominium with no view that was sold for $1.2 million dollars. I mean, you can get a view of the water in Florida for a half a million dollars from a condo, from a two or three bedroom condo. So I think that the prices are getting a little bit out of control. Of course, you have to deduct about 25% because the Canadian dollar is uh, at about 77 cents of the U.S. dollar. Nevertheless, it's still extremely expensive and... uh, the Canadians are starting to complain, and it's, it's a problem for them. But their inflation rate has come down, and the economists had expected 27 to 2.8% inflation rate, and it's down to 22 and dropping. And the Canadian dollar has come up against the U.S. dollar. It's at 77 cents last time I checked. Last year, it was uh, 3 or 4 cents below that, and a few years ago, it was as low as in the 60s, the mid and high 60s. And so policymakers here are rethinking their need to sit on the economy. Gasoline prices in Canada have fallen. Now, this is an interesting thing. Why is gas so much more expensive in a country that produces so much oil and gas and has so much ability? Well, there's a number of reasons. One is the cost of production. In the United States, we have a much larger population, so it's it's on scale and so it's 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 cheaper the more you produce the more you sell the more centralized and more number of of uh refineries that you have that can pump out and uh distribute the gasoline and about 80% of oil is is uh, used for gasoline it's distilled out of it it's one of the many liquids that's in oil oil's not one molecule it's dozens of molecules that are all stuck together in a big glob. So the cost of production is higher in Canada. They have fewer facilities, and uh, they're not even sure if they built more facilities, if it would help bring down the price of gasoline. And, of course, the taxes are much higher up here, and there's much more uh, regulatory control of the gas and oil industry because of the, uh, the environmentalist and also the government wants their cut they want more money over half the canadians work for the government so it's it's a socialist country in many ways and there's no competition so the governments the provinces and the federal government regulate the number of gas stations the number of refineries and this pushes up the price as well and We were talking with Pryor at breakfast yesterday, and I was talking about uh, an article I read, a little town in British Columbia that was right on the Washington state border. And he mirrored this with the story from his sister who lives out there, that people have one gas station in their town on the Canadian side of the border with, with prices that are 50 cents higher per gallon. So they drive across the border a couple of miles more and get gas cheaper in Washington state. And the little town, which is smaller than the town in Canada, has three gas stations. So there's competition. There's competition between the companies. And that apparently is not the same in Canada. There's only one gas station allowed within this little town and that's a problem with government overregulation and maybe they'll they'll take a page out of our playbook and when i say our playbook i mean the playbook that we are implementing when we elected trump as our spokesperson and pushed for deregulation maybe they'll see the light and deregulate more of their industries Ultimately, I think free enterprise is the best way to go, and I've said that before, and I think that would be just as true in Canada as it is in the United States. However, they're a huge landmass with a small population, and so they've got tremendous cost per capita in building a road or a hospital or whatever. So their, their need to collectivize may be a little bit stronger than ours, at least in their minds. I don't know if that is accurate or not. I don't know if they would have done better over the past 50, 60 years if they hadn't socialized after World War II as much as they have. I think they probably would have been better, but uh, that's speculation on my part. So with a low inflation rate, uh, per capita income going up, and it's still about $10,000 less per capita per person. They are doing extremely well. Gasoline prices are dropping. And overall, they're making great strides economically and in part because we're making great strides economically and they export to us. Now, the free trade agreement has been uh, generally well accepted by the Canadians and they seem fairly happy. And I don't hear as much uh, bad mouthing of Trump up here as I have in past years. Uh, Actually, the criticism now is of one of their ministers of finance who was involved in the negotiation of the new NAFTA or the new North American uh, treaty between the United States, Canada and Mexico. And basically, this was a redo of NAFTA. But since it has come through, the look back now is critical of the Canadian side and the Canadian uh, negotiator for the Ministry of Finance up here who is seen as a, a newbie, a novice, and a lightweight and uh, delayed the passing of the, of the treaty by six months because of her lack of knowledge and understanding of, of the situation. And this is coming from one of the CEOs of a major company up here. So there is some criticism of their government and their government's handling of the, the trade agreement between our three countries. But generally, they're happy with it. Yes, steel tariffs have gone up a little bit, and yes, the dairy farmers are complaining in Canada because the uh, allowance of dairy products to flow into Canada has increased. But, you know, it's only increased by less than one-half of one percent. So it's, it, it, in terms of the United States, it's not that big of a deal, but it's certainly uh, a bigger deal for the Canadians since they have a smaller economy. And how that's going to affect Canadian dairy farmers, I don't know. Uh, We'll probably see some uh, acquisitions and mergers of the big dairy farmers and producers in the United States and Canada over the next few years. And uh, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's been the trend for decades now anyway. So that will probably continue on and again this is not a big percentage but there are some other areas that the canadians have been affected by in terms of the treaty but overall they're happy and as i pointed out in weeks past they can now bring back 250 dollars worth of uh worth of goods from the united states tariff free and prior to that they they could only uh bring back I think 50 or $60 worth of goods. So they're happy about that. And you say, well, $250 is not a whole lot of money, Doc. You know what? If you're bringing back $250 of American goods, it's about $325 of Canadian goods. And by the way, everything is cheaper, even discounting, even taking out the difference in our, our currencies, the Goods in the United States, because of our economy of scale, are much cheaper. And that uh, makes a big difference for the Canadians when they go shopping. It is very important to them. They are concerned about that. And they look at us and they're envious of our ability to purchase much more cheaply than just about anywhere in the world because of our economy of scale. And you think about it if you're buying blue jeans for 35 million people and you go out and you're, you know, the Bay or some other big retailer here, you're going to bid on a a million pair of jeans. Well, if you're in the United States and you're Sam's Club, you're going to bid on 10 million pairs of jeans. Well, you know you're going to get the 10 million cheaper than the million just because of the economy of scale and the discount you're going to get for volume. So the Canadians would rather come to the United States to shop, and that's understandable. Most Canadians live within 100 miles of the U.S. border anyway, so it's not like it's a a big deal. And the Canadian government is concerned because they don't want to see the business flow across the border into the states. But that $250 goes a long way, especially for a middle-class family who's shopping for clothes or appliances or whatever. So it's it's an important aspect of the trade agreement that the Canadians are appreciative of. I don't know that their federal government is, but the, the populace is. They're very happy with it. And I'm glad to see that they feel good about, about the treaty and about the benefits that it's bringing them. They're pumping more oil. And they're they're pumping more oil through pipelines to the United States. And they're happy about that. Again, they're... Wondering why is their gasoline more expensive than ours when they 're the ones who are bringing it out of the ground, uh, but uh, as i explained there 's government regulations and taxation and a lack of uh, a, a lack of competition allowed, so there are some real problems here there are some real problems, and they need to loosen that up and that 's the next thing dr bill 's going to work on is uh, seeing more deregulation in Canada and I'll start hitting on that this winter when the Canadians come in. I I usually take a, a political topic and hammer it all year long for the Canadians and gradually they're getting the message. Dr. Bill's changing North America. And I love it. I just love it. Quietly, well not so quietly on Sunday mornings. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? Am I loud enough? <laughs> always, always. we got to bark it out there, baby. And also, I'm going to continue to push their health care system to provide better care for their people. Although we're glad to have the medical tourism, and it was estimated that 60 million, or I'm sorry, 60,000 Canadians sought care outside of Canada last year. The numbers may be higher. These are projections by one of the think tanks up here. And it's hard to actually gauge it all because some people pay cash, as you know. They come to the United States, they pay cash in our market as well. In our office, we have a number of Canadians. Uh, what, I, what would you say, 5%, 10% pay cash? Yeah, about 10% pay cash because they're not covered or they don't want to use their health insurance because they don't want their rates to go up. So it's it, it's a phenomena that is disconcerting to the Canadian government in some ways, but in other ways it probably makes them happy that they don't have to pay for that health care since it is out of country and most of it not covered by their provincial health insurance plans. So we'll continue to push that and deregulation. Their military is integral to NATO and to the United States and they participate... Uh, intimately with us although quietly so they don't upset all the all the nice peaceful little Canadians that don't believe in war and just want to smoke pot God bless them Uh, but somebody has to (laughs) somebody has to defend the countries and that's us and by the way they're they're bidding on uh, warships for their navy and uh, of course the United States companies are involved intimately in that as well so a lot of back and forth we're doing good I'm happy love the Canadians glad I'm here and I appreciate them allowing me into the country once again. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.
0: Thank you for being with me today, and I'll see you guys next week. Have a great one. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.